Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the You Know Jack podcast. I am your host, Kevin Jacklevic, and I hope everybody's having a good day today. I uh, I have a very special guest in the studio with me on this lovely Wednesday evening, late night, about 10 o'clock. I'm sitting here with none other than my mother, Nancy Louise Jacklevic. How you doing, Mom? I'm doing real good. You're going to have to talk a little louder than that. Okay, I'm doing real good. Good. Thanks for joining me. Um, what do you think of this studio? Oh, it's very nice. I really like it. You've got some nice pictures on the wall, and just the way you have it set up, it's very welcoming. Yeah? I feel like I'm a star. Yeah, you are a star. Well, um, you know, I wanted to have you just do the intro with me tonight because you guys are in town. We got you and dad in town along with my brother Daniel. Uh, our daughters are both dancing in a, in a dance competition. It started uh, yesterday and we watched both of them dance tonight. So we had a we had a fun family night and I thought I would include you in on my, my little intro here. I was kind of surprised, but I think I'm glad that you did. Good. So how many times... Do you think you dropped me on my head when I was a baby? Well, definitely once. Definitely once? Yes. I figured it was way more than that. No, maybe your dad might have. I'm sure somebody did. But so only, I just don't know what's wrong with me. That's that's well, really what. Well, I don't know um, either. I've been trying to figure it out. <laughs> and it's, you know, I still haven't. No, I don't think you will. No. But it's okay. It's all right. Well... Um, so I told you a little bit about my guest for this week's episode. It's a guy named Arlen Strader. Yeah, that's And right. uh, he's he's a 71-year-old guy, so he's a little older than you guys, um, but same kind of generation as you, and he's a professional musician. And so him and I talked you know, a lot about, like I told him about how when, when we were growing up, you guys are big Beatles fans, and we always were listening to to the Beatles. And you know, I remember Dad always telling me about the Rolling Stones and how he had, at his birthday party when he was fourteen or sixteen, he remembers the Stones playing at, at the party or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of a cool trip down memory lane. And I think you you guys are going to like the episode a lot. He's a he's a really cool guy. He played played drums with a lot of different bands and traveled the world. And uh, he's somebody that I met through through recovery and sobriety, and he's he's become a good friend of mine. So, so yeah, it'll be a cool episode. Well, that'll be interesting. I'll be sure to listen. Who's your is your favorite band, the Beatles of all time? Or who is your favorite band? I'd say the Beatles are one of my favorites. Yeah, but I really like all. You like Fleetwood Mac too, I don't like you? Fleetwood Mac. Yes, I do. Fleetwood What's Mac. the best concert you've ever been to? Hmm. Well, I haven't been to that many. I remember going to Iron Butterfly. Iron Butterfly? <laughs> yes. Okay. Who was in that band? I really don't know. And have did they go on to other bands or is would they I don't know any of their songs. In a Garden of Eden. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Pretty wild song. It was a crazy concert. Yeah, I bet. But Recently, a couple years ago, went to Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt. Really, I remember. I Bonnie really Raitt. like Bonnie Raitt. 
And then aren't you going to a show coming up? Yes, I'm going to see Ben Folds at the uh, Kaufman Center. In KC? Yeah, and the symphony is playing with him. Well, you're in for a treat because I've seen him in Ben Folds 5, his band, and man, they are, they're awesome. I think it'll be really good, and the atmosphere there is very nice. Yeah. The sound is good. Cool. All right, Mom. Well, I appreciate you jumping on here and helping me kick off the uh, the podcast. I know you're a loyal listener, and you, uh, you've you been wondering what I've been doing on these off weeks lately, so I have kind of an announcement. My plan is from here on out until something changes, I'm going to go every other week kind of adjusted things. It was becoming a little challenging to, to keep up with the weekly. At first, I had a few episodes that I had stacked up, but then life happened, had a couple weeks where I wasn't able to record anything. So now I'm kind of easing things off a little bit and uh, going into the, the end of summer and the fall, stepping it back. But then who knows what might happen. I'm starting to think about you know down the road, getting creative, maybe doing some video stuff, maybe uh, getting some more, uh, some different type of content coming out. So we'll see, stay tuned. And uh, as always, go to Apple and rate the podcast, subscribe to whatever, to, to the podcast on whatever platform you listen on. And don't forget to visit the merch store. It is bonfire.com forward slash store forward slash YKJ pod. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to take you into the episode. This was uh, Arlen and I talking uh, last weekend. I hope you enjoy it. See you, Mom. Bye, Kevin. Close as you can there. Okay. I got kind of a loud voice, but I, I wherever. I love your voice. All right. You want to give me a little test on there? One, two, one, two. All right. This ain't nothing new for you. No. Well... Arlen, I appreciate you joining me today in the in the You Know Jack studio. Uh, it's it's an honor to have you in here, man. Wow, thank you. It's hey, it's great to be here. Yeah. Um, so Arlen Strader, is that how you pronounce it? That's how you say it. All right, and it's A R L I N, not to be confused with E N or A N or A N. Isn't there? Uh, and you are a musician. Correct. You're from the Alton area? Yeah. Okay. And uh, is there another Arlen Strader musician, uh, drummer as well? I don't think so. No? So did, you, did you play with Diamond Rio? No. There, there was somebody that played with Dar- Diamond Rio. Oh, a good friend of mine, Brian Proud. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. You know Brian? No, I just was doing a little research on you, and yeah. your name was tied to his, I think. Yeah. And so... It came up that you were in Diamond Rio as the drummer. No. Brian and I worked together uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. We played with a a country rock band called Hot Walker Band. Hot Walker? Yeah. Okay. Uh, There were two drummers in that band. That's how I got to know Brian. Okay. Gotcha. We traveled South America, Europe, and uh, uh, Brian and I were roommates some. That's He's awesome. He's a good drummer, man. Good That's drummer. cool. So uh, I know I jumped ahead a little bit, but so Arlen Strader from the Alton area, born and raised there, and you, at an early age, you uh, 
had musical talent, right? And you were you were on the road early, right? Well, I had the interest when I was. Uh, let me see. I guess fourth grade. What would that be? About nine years nine, old. Nine, ten. Yeah. Uh, I was pecking on everything, you know, and and uh, my mo- I came home from school one day, and my mother had a snare drum she had rented from Halpin's Music snare drum stand. And a little music stand, and it was seven dollars a month. Oh wow, that's yeah. a lot of money. Hey, I thought we were rich. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I played that drum, took drum lessons at school, uh, but at home I always had a drum set, even if it was uh, aluminum wastebaskets and stuff from around the house and pot lids. You know, right? Uh, I'd watch the who was it, uh, Lawrence Welk show on Saturday night, and I could see a guy playing a real set of drums. I'd watch him. When a commercial came on, I'd go in my room and pretend. Mimic it a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. So what year range are we talking about here? I was born in 1950, so that okay. would have been 1959. And uh, uh, my older brother, Les, he passed away last fall, December 1st. Uh, he was 76, and he was a really good guitar player, pedal steel and electric guitar. Okay. And he worked at a music store. He got me a, uh, a a set of drums, real set of drums from that music store when I guess I was about 12 or so, maybe seventh grade. And he had bands that were always rehearsing in our house, and during the course of the rehearsal sometimes they would let me play a song yeah that's cool and uh yeah it was great so they had a drummer that they had problems with i don't remember why uh maybe he didn't show up or something but anyway they said let's get the kid uh so i was 13 and i was playing gigs around town with these guys that were 20 25 30 years old and uh i i had a lot of interest and i had an ability yeah to an extent i could play a real steady time and that is the single most important thing that a drummer does make it play time make it feel good yeah and i could do that and through junior high school, I played with them some, uh, you know, school dances. A lot of the gigs we did were twelve dollars. Wow, you know, split for, up between a few guys. Part no, twelve dollars a piece. Oh wow, that's big money. Well, you know, <laughs> more than I could make mowing grass, and I was playing drums. Yeah, yeah. So was your uh, were your mom and dad musically inclined um, to? My mother had musical ability i think my dad did some i never really knew my real dad my stepdad uh he, he passed when i was about 11 oh wow so it was mom taking care of me and my two younger brothers and she's a talented seamstress and a great mom you know so she was home all the time sewing for neighbors sewing for black sporting goods she's a real hard worker and uh, so she would let me go with my older brother off to play at night. He was in most of the bands. Well, he was in all the bands I was in when I was 13. Uh, the summer I turned 15, 
I was playing uh, six nights a week with that band. Uh, all around St. Louis? Gaslight Square, all over St. Louis. Wow, that's cool. So, yeah, six nights a week that whole summer. That's great. Yeah, a lot of fun. So um, at some point, do you kind of venture off on your own there? Yeah, well, my older brother, uh, he took off on the road, and uh, I played with some high school bands and some of the older guys that I'd known through him. And then when I got out of high school, I took off. I moved to Boston, played with some bands up there, had a gig at a place called the Combat Zone. <laughs> and the name speaks for itself. It was an area of nightclubs in Boston. Uh, the name of the first place I played was Jerome's. Jerome's. And, yeah, and it was open till 4 a.m. And Pretty rowdy scene. Then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But I was playing drums. And from there, I met other guys around Boston. I'd worked up there in the in the summertime when it got cold, we'd go on the road down south, out west, and uh, traveled so around. Tr- and this is in the heyday of, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, everybody coming in late 60s, right? Yeah, early 70s, late 60s. Yeah. But, and I liked uh, all kind of music, but... I didn't play in bands that played a lot of Rolling Stones or Beatles or, you know. So you weren't playing in cover bands. You were playing in original bands. Well, they were cover bands, but it was R&B stuff. Temptation, okay. a lot of black bands. And okay. I worked around East St. Louis. And, and this band, I was playing with Gaslight Square. Uh, it was all R&B stuff. Wow, it that's cool. So yeah, it, it wasn't rock. So jazz influence or more R&B? It was more R&B. And uh, uh, in the 70s, when that started to turn to disco, uh, the spirit wasn't moving me. (laughs) Yeah. So I moved to Nashville at that time, and I had real good luck up there. I didn't make a lot of money, but I worked all the time. I played on the Grand Ole Opry, and then there was a uh, another radio show right after that called the Ernest Hub Record Shop. I played on there with some of the old-time country guys and uh, worked around town, traveled some with that, moved to Fort Lauderdale after that when the country rock thing was really happening. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, could, I could play pretty much like I was playing with a rhythm and blues band. With that kind of stuff, I mean that's the way I played. So, and uh, so you could kind of adapt to whatever scene you were in for the most yeah, part. Yeah, your playing style. Yeah, I I could do that. I still can do that, and it's uh, it's about just uh, understanding the attitude that they're playing that music with. It's not so much a totally different. Uh, musical vocabulary on the drum set as it is just understanding that music and the quarter note that's what drives all music and i understand that um and i played uh after fort lauderdale i lived there for a while and we traveled a lot and i lived in california lived in uh nashville and um atlanta so you were kind of just all over the place through the, the through the place. 70s. Yeah. And uh, in the late 80s, 
I was living in Atlanta and I was working with some guys, an original band. And I had worked in recording studios in Fort Lauderdale, uh, SRS studio down there. I, I worked there every day for three or four So years. different musicians would come in to record and you would play the, band, yeah. the drum track. Yeah. Okay. So and, during that time, I know I'm kind of backing up. That's all right. You know, Arlen and I know each other through the recovery world. I'm somebody who's sober. Arlen, Arlen is somebody in the recovery world. So during that time, your adolescence on up into when you're traveling around, were you getting a taste of that party life? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I was, uh, I was a drinker when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, you're... Uh, on the road all the time and and uh, everything is there lots of girls and there's nothing you know that's not an addiction of mine but I like it but uh, I had trouble with alcohol and there was a lot of cocaine around in the 70s yeah uh, I was never really addicted to that I think I just did it on top of the booze when it was yeah, around well I could stay awake and drink more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And then in the in the late 80s, I was working with some guys. Everybody in the group was in recovery but me, and I was charging hard ahead with everything. Yeah. And in the early 90s, I felt like I had had enough. It wasn't fun anymore, you know. Right. Uh, it was over, and I knew it. And because I had worked with these guys that were in recovery, I knew what to do and where to go. So, uh, you know, the part of the story is uh, I got in trouble with the law some in the late 80s. Yeah. And uh, I got some DUIs, and they were mad at me about a lot of stuff. And... Uh, I bought my way out of it. I had money. Yeah. Enough money to do that. But I I knew it was over. The drinking and the drugging and and uh, all that. I knew it was over with. And I moved to Myrtle Beach in uh, June of 1993. And I was married to a great girl. And we went up there from Atlanta to Myrtle Beach. And it was drums 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 i had i focused my attention on what i love to do on ability that god had given me he took this alcohol thing away and i was grateful then i'm grateful now and uh, i just played all the time if i wasn't working i was out setting in and i'd already always had an interest in jazz but uh you know, when you're drinking all the time and and playing all the time, I just uh, I never went after it. Right. Before. So you had a damn near a 25 year career already at this time, but you weren't really at the top of your game because of no. your your drinking and partying. And it was going downhill. I mean, I did yeah. some really good work while I was drinking, but nothing stays the same. You know, right. you can progress or you can digress, but you can't grist. Yeah. So were you having consequences with bandmates and, you know, people getting sick of your stuff? Or were yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I went off to play a gig one time, a one-nighter, with a little country band, and obviously I thought I was uh, uh, way ahead, or, you know... Above them? uh, Above it, right, way above my pay grade there. And we took a break, and I overheard uh, one of the guys in the band say, you know, that little drummer might have been pretty good at one time. Ooh. Oh. But it was the truth. Yeah. And, you know, you got to look at yourself. You got to, and I did. So I stopped. I, I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped everything on November 1st, 1992. By the grace of God, I haven't looked back. Yeah. So uh, I'm real grateful for that. Yeah, that's and great. So- anybody can do it. It's the question is, how bad do you want it? Right. And when I got up to Myrtle Beach with the music, how bad did I want that? And I wanted it. I worked on it every day. I was out sitting in with bands, uh, sitting in with bands that I really didn't know what I was doing. But I wanted to grow, and probably, well, certainly a lot of the comments I got at first was, who is this bozo? But I just kept at it and kept at it. People recognized that, and doors began to open for me. And when they opened, I walked through them. Yeah. And I was growing, man. Uh, within a couple of years of being there, I'd gone from a country drummer that was struggling to uh, I was playing with a local big band. I'd taught myself to read music, uh, you know, 16-piece band, and I was playing some shows up there. Uh, I got offered a show that was down to Myrtle Beach from New York City, and they offered me the gig, and I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. So I got the book, the the music for the show about two weeks ahead of time. And those Broadway shows, man, those musicals, they're they're not like counting off a a song and playing it all the way through. It speeds up, it slows down, time changes in and following the conductor. So I sent off for the CD of this show. I listened to it. I read along with the music. I played along with it probably eight hours, nine hours a day. I don't know how many, how much, but I knew it frontwards and backwards on the first day of the rehearsal. We went in, did the rehearsal. When we took a break, the conductor called me over, and he said, boy, you never know if you're going to get somebody who can read or not when you're out doing this stuff. I appreciate what you're doing. And I just said, thank you. I didn't tell him. You didn't tell him you were in over your head at first? No, I didn't (laughs) tell anybody. Yeah. So how bad did I want it? I wanted it bad. Yeah. So uh, I played shows, backed up a lot of uh, artists, uh, traveled around, on the road with bands. I got a call, and I played with the Tommy Dorsey band for a while. I got in over my head with that one. And uh, uh, the band leader and a lot of the older guys in the band were patient with me, but some of the younger guys, you know, they had the attitude, uh, hey, you're supposed to know what to do when you get here. And they were right. So I got beat up a little bit on that one, but I got hired back to that band a few times, and... Uh, 
it's not how you get down, knocked down. It's how you get back up. Yeah. So I learned an awful lot from that. Uh, so yeah, when man. you were kind of struggling and on the road and doing your thing, how was your relationship with your family at that point? Were you kind of distant from them? or You mean you my ch- wife? Well, your wife and your family back home, that sort of thing. Well, after I left home... Every summer when my little brothers were out of school, I'd fly them to wherever I was, and they'd stay for a couple of weeks. Uh, you, a lot of the time, I was in uh, Salisbury Beach, Massachusetts, a resort town. They'd come up there and stay. Uh, when I was living in Fort Lauderdale, they'd come down there in the summer and stay. I played at a, a place called Bachelor's Three. Joe Namath and some other football players oh, yeah. had that I've, restaurant. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. And of that. they got I got them a gig washing dishes in there. You know, so we've been family through the whole thing. Gotcha. And my mother would come down uh, during the uh, during the nineties and the two thousands. 20 to 2010 my mother had come down and traveled with me a lot i was doing a lot of jazz festivals at that time with smaller groups and mom had come down travel with me got to be friends with the people that i worked with and i you know she'd she'd go to two or three jazz festivals maybe four and then she'd go back home so and I would go home when I got chances. So yeah, yeah. So, I talked to her on the phone every day for yeah. all those years. So we're close. Even when you were out out partying and running around, you you were able to keep in touch. Oh sure, yeah, well, that's yeah, good. I, yeah, it was. And she came and visited. And mom knew that I drank a lot, but I never. Uh, when I straightened out. I decided I would make a living amends to my mother sure. and be the best son that I could be. And I didn't tell her about what I had been through. She didn't need to know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she, I'm sure I had worried her enough already. She just knew I didn't drink. Yep. That was enough. That, and you're, she, you're exactly right. And I have situations, I have people like that in my life, you know. I've been sober for three three years and a couple months and uh you know when you're when you're working a recovery program and you're doing the things you need to be doing you do have to sit down and talk to some people and and you know give them that amends right make that amends but then there are people in my life that i i just know that i have to show them with my actions that i am a different person and that i respect them and love them by my by my consistent actions so i agree Nobody has the right to drag somebody else through the mud to clear their own conscience. Yeah, yeah. In my humble estimation. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm, you know, I still make amends when I see people. A couple of years ago, I saw a guy at the doctor's office that I owed an apology to in the waiting room at the doctor's office. And we went out in the hall. And I talked to him, and he laughed about it. Yeah, yeah. See, you know, those people, a lot of times, things that hurt me, I'd shrink up to or shrivel when I thought of them. The person that I had offended 40 years ago or 20 or whenever, they may not have ever thought of it since then. They usually laugh and 
by far most people that I've made an amends to, they smiled and hey, don't worry, man. They yeah. were very gracious about it. Yeah. So I've, there's I've a boogeyman ex- there, you know. Yeah, I've experienced that same thing. So when you were out running around in the in the sixties, seventies, eighties, who were some of the bands that you came across? Some of the big bands that you you uh, hung around back then. Well, you know, when you're traveling a lot and when you work all the time, you get to meet a lot of people, and everybody gets their chances. Yeah, everybody gets their chances. Are you prepared for them or not? And. Uh, uh, the guys from the Marshall Tucker band, Toy Caldwell and his brother Tommy, and I got to hang some. They recorded in uh, South Florida, and they came out to a place where I was playing a lot. Me and my older brother uh, were friends with them. We hung out drinking and playing. They couldn't yeah. sit in, and uh, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, Tons of them. Just yeah. All over. And... and uh, after you know one one thing i will mention when i was a kid i had two records uh i had a ray charles greatest hits and uh james brown live at the apollo and on this ray charles oh and i had a johnny cash record too on this ray charles record there is a great saxophone solos a guy named uh, david newman so he was one of, and Ray Charles, you know, I played along with all those records. and But uh, he was one of my childhood heroes. So, I don't know, I was about 50 maybe. And I was on a, playing on a jazz festival, and I ended up playing with David Newman. And it, it, he was great, man. He, he was really good, and the band was good, and I was, wow. <laughs> How cool is this? I'm getting yeah. to play with this guy. So uh, we were in the hospitality room, and and we were talking, and I th- told him how much I appreciated, how much fun I had. And uh, he said, yeah, man, you're a good drummer. Uh, the world don't need another good drummer. The world needs a good drummer with a message. So... Uh, that opened my eyes to a lot of things, you know. What what did you uh what did that mean to you at that time in your life? Well, it meant uh who are you helping with this? I mean, it's a you can be a blessing to the audience and a blessing to all the guys in the band around you. But uh there, there's more to it than just that. Music is such a powerful thing, you know. Uh, uh, the message. I worked in a, uh, for about 10 or 11 years, I worked in a church band. Um, I worked almost every Sunday. I wasn't on the road a lot at that time. I would leave town. I lived in Myrtle Beach, right outside of town. And I'd go out of town maybe Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And a lot of times, Saturday night, when I got off work, I might be in Florida. And I'd drive all night, Saturday night, get to church Sunday morning, brush my teeth, wash my face, put on my church clothes, go in, play a rehearsal, and play two church services, and then go home. 
and go to bed. And uh, I was never a member of that church, but I had made a commitment. Yeah. And that's what you do, man. When we sober up, straighten out, commitments become so important. And uh, I learned a lot at this church. And, and I think the main thing I learned at this church about playing music was it's not how cleverly I play my parts, it's how carefully I support the message. And that's playing, backing up a singer. It's not a drum clinic, man. You're backing up a singer. You're giving her what she needs, what she deserves. She's the one telling the story up there. And I learned that uh, I used to think maybe people hired me because they thought I was a good drummer. But that I think that's wrong. I think people hire me because they trust me. They know that I'm going to show up on time. Uh, I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to be dressed right. I'm going to give them the backing they deserve. I'm, uh, I'm going to be an element of comfort, not concern. You know, is Arlen going to have a bad attitude? Or I don't bring that to work with me. Yeah, that's, I mean, I appreciate you answering that because that's something, you know, I can answer, for me, music has always been uh, a big part of my life, just listening to music, right? I have no music ta- musical ability, you know, right. um, I'm not a writer, I don't, you know, no, I've, I can play a little piano, little little tiny guitar, but I just never could get into it, right? I just don't have that ability, but when I listen to music, and my some of my friends make fun of me. I always tend to like the kind of slow and somber kind of acoustic music, and you know, like I just feel that music deep inside, right. right? And so, I always kind of wonder what musicians say to that kind of question. Like, what are you? What is the message here? What you hear musicians say that, and it's cool to hear you explain that the way you did. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I've learned a lot since I learned to really listen uh, to someone else's opinion. And, and when, I, uh, when I hear things that really resonate with me, I write them down. And uh, I used to hear a lot of that at church, things they would say, uh, not necessarily things out of the Bible, just spiritual concepts. And I'd write them down and pin them to a lampshade. And the lampshade was huge. I had so much. And now it's on a computer in my phone. If someone says something, I jot it down in my phone notes. I keep all that stuff. Maybe someday when I get too old or feeble to play drums, I'll write a book, put all that together. Uh, one, of the, one of the really important things I heard that I wrote down was the concept of the tyranny of the urgent. And uh, that just had such an inc- intriguing name when I heard this preacher say this. And what, how he explained it was, all the things that are urgent, oh my God, I got to get to the dry cleaners. Man, I got to hurry up, get to the store before the people come for dinner. Uh, all these urgent things that pull us during the day, it can be like a tyrant, yeah. and, and the urgent takes us away from the important. 
That's the great. Tyranny of the urgent. That's big, isn't it? That really is. And I, I, all, I'll be honest. I struggle with that. You know, who and, don't? Right. And you know, having a young family, little kids, we're always rushing. And uh, you know, when I, when I go through stressful times, it's always because I am trying to rush to keep up and I'm not doing a good job at taking a step back and kind of planning things out and in communicating the right way, you know? Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a, a great, a great explanation there. Yeah. Um, I also wrote down, you know, I go back through these things that I've written down and look at them from time to time. And some of them I forget, about and they helped me later i think when did i do that or when did i think that or who did i hear say that and uh something i read the other day i don't know where it came from but it was important at the moment it's important now and that was it's more in the trusting than it is in the trying uh, let go and trust myself you know i work on drum things And when I try too hard, when I'm really trying, it won't happen. My hands know what to do. They will work it out between themselves, trusting myself, you know, giving myself permission to be what I want to be, to be what I believe God wants me to be. You know, certainly give my, uh, I don't think anybody succeeds until they give themselves permission to be a success. We, we can kick ourselves down. Uh, I, I've known some wildly talented people that knew how to sabotage themselves right at the worst sure. time. Sure. I do too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love those, uh, uh, writing down those things that keeps me listening, listening to people. There was, I've had some great teachers, uh, bass players, piano players, trumpet players, singers, everybody I've worked with. And they, they've all been a lot older than me, generally speaking. And that's, uh, more experienced for sure. Yeah. And that's important. I used to work with a bass player. And Ben Tucker, uh, you can Google him, or he, he's really special. So Ben called me one time. Uh, he said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I'm playing some ideas, playing drums, getting ready for this. He and I, he was taking me off on a jazz festival. Uh, I said, I'm getting ready for this gig we're going to do this weekend. He said, oh, man, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get rid. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he just wasn't worried ready. about it. <laughs> no. And he, he said uh, another time, this goes along with more in the trusting than the trying. He used to play some really fast tempos. And some of them I would struggle with, but, you know, I, I was learning. Yeah. And uh, he was very patient with me. So I said to him one time, man, uh, I'm I'm struggling with some of these tempos. Man, they're so fast. And he said, don't think about it, baby. Just play it. And that's it. Don't think so hard. Just play. Yeah, that's uh, that's the truth. But I think you're right. If you don't trust yourself, you're never going to get there. And you know, never. you know, I, I struggle with some anxiety, and I know a lot of people that do, and uh, 
it, the the times when you're struggling with those things, it's it's easy to to look back on them and say like, look, I just I wasn't trusting what I was doing and my ability, you know. And sometimes you got to hit that reset and, and yeah. figure out get your get your mind wrapped around what what's going on. And so, yeah, that's great. Do you find that uh, maybe if you're struggling with something, you mentioned anxiety, that you find yourself not in the now oh, while you're doing that. That's exactly what it is, right? I'm either I'm thinking back or looking forward, mm-hmm. and I don't have a handle on the now, yeah. right? And sure. uh, you know, and that that crosses over into every area of of your life, you know, sure. with my with my career, with with this. I mean, this is just a fun passion project for me. This podcast, but. I'm not gonna lie. When I'm busy with my day job, this this takes a back seat. And if I don't do that, then I'm gonna you know mess up my day job, or it, I I have to focus on my family and my recovery. And so when you've got a lot of different things going on, the, the great thing about sobriety for me is that I can I can kind of catch that quicker than I used to. I used to let that go on till the the I you know blew the top off. And now I can catch it when it's a quarter way full and <laughs> adjust something and, you know, get out of a commitment that's, the you know, the lowest on the totem pole to make sure that my other things in my life stay on track and, you know, and communicate with people. I used to just live on that self-will and drive that I could do whatever I needed to do. I didn't need help. And, you know, that got me to a point where I was you know, struggling bad with alcohol. When I did drink, I was a binge drinker and I was flat out addicted to pain medication, you know, over the, or not over the counter prescription pain pills. And, uh, you know, for a few years I I needed them to get through life and it, it, uh, it was a horrible, horrible thing. But like you said, I, I had had enough. I was ready to quit. I didn't know how. And, you know, I didn't quit on my own. I got busted. You know, I got busted by my wife. And, you know, certainly I wasn't performing in other areas of my life very well either at that time. And so, you know, when I got to that point and started trusting myself a little bit at a time and work in a recovery program, like you said, my life has just changed drastically. And, you know, outside looking in, I people thought I had a pretty good life, right? And I'm sure they thought you had a pretty awesome life. You're traveling the world. You've been playing music your whole life as a career. But they don't know how you're feeling on the inside and those struggles you're going through. And uh, it, it goes back to trusting yourself. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, when you said you would fly off, you know, you catch yourself quicker. Uh, <clears throat> faith... The more you do it, the more I do it, the better I get at it. Yeah. And uh, simple, simple, simple works for me, you know, simple. Uh, When I catch myself getting off of the rail, be still and know that I am God. I mean, that's a few words that cover a lot of ground. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And plus... uh, Living with and being caretaker for my 99-year-old mother. She was 99 two days ago. Oh, wow. Happy birthday You learn about being in the now. Because she is in the now, this gal. She's, her body is wearing out, but her mind is good. And her and I have great 
conversations. She has a terrific sense of humor. She's been alive since 1922, so she's seen it. Wow. And so so you were in the Myrtle Beach area. You were married at that time. Right. Uh, do you have any kids? No. Never had kids? No. So um, at what point, you know, you start having great success, your life's going well, you're, you're in recovery. At what point did you come back to this area? Well, I had been in Myrtle Beach since uh, the middle of, middle of June in 93, and then maybe about 20 years, man, I, I had gone from nothing to really having a, a great career. I, uh, I had been involved with the Conway Jazz Festival and pretty soon, you know, I had been the director of the Jazz Festival and I did a lot of, I guess that's a word, uh, I did a, a, a lot of, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for right now. I did a lot of the things where administrative things, you know, okay. not just playing the drums right. on it. Putting things together. Right. And and, uh, and, uh, uh, and that church gig was terrific, but not, everything changes, you know. Everything has a season. And a lot of the people that I loved working with, they didn't want to work as hard anymore. And a lot of the younger people than me, that I was working with, uh, they, hey, just Arlen, they just weren't in it. Arlen, everybody don't want to work as hard as you do. You know, uh, it wasn't darling Arlen, it was snarling Arlen. <laughs> you know, let's go, let's do this. Yeah. And uh, people changed on that church gig, the personnel did. And I just had the feeling that uh, it had run its route. I didn't want to stay too long at the fair. So I prayed about it, thought about it, and my gut told me to move to Santa Fe, New Mexico. I knew one guy out there. And I moved to Santa Fe right away. I'm working. I'm playing at a college. I met a guy that I had known when I was on the road, a trumpet player that was teaching there. And I was... Uh, there a couple of weeks, and I was playing Les Mis at a college, another place, and out playing. And my mother came for a visit, and she wasn't doing well. She came with my younger brother, David. She wasn't doing well. And this was about the 1st of June, and then uh, 90 or 2004, maybe, 5, 4. It doesn't matter. Yeah. She was... Uh, not doing well. And she went home, and she had fell down a couple of times and uh, uh, had to wear a heart monitor. There were some things going on. And I said, what am I doing here? So I, I worked the gigs that I had on the books, not to leave anybody hanging, and I moved back to Alton. And I was going to move in with my mom till she got straightened out with her health things and then maybe get an apartment, stay around town, maybe not. Yeah. And it just worked out where she needs me. Yeah. And her and I are good roommates. I love being by myself. She loves being by herself. So we respect each other's territory. And... uh uh, it works out great. I've got a drum studio in the basement. I got a little gym down there where I can do my exercises at home. I got electronic drums in one room where I can 
uh, work on things with the headphones on. Keep and it quiet. And keep it quiet. Leave yep. one headphone off where I can hear her in the other room. So how bad do you want it? Again. Yeah. You know, the, if you want it, you can get it. There is a way. Yeah, that's so true. And you won't have that burning desire for things that aren't really that important, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're, uh, you know, your whole life has been surrounded by drumming, right? You, It's been your whole life, but the past 25, 30 years, you really found your passion in it. And it wasn't yeah. just that you were out playing. Right. Well, I, you know, when I, when I straightened out in 92, I found that same passion I had when I was 13. Yeah. You know, one quick story that was a beautiful thing about recovery. It wouldn't happen without it for sure. I mentioned that I watched Lawrence Welk show when I was a kid. It was on Saturday night. I could see a guy playing drums. Well, I was in a recording studio one day, and I got a phone call, and the Lawrence Welk All-Stars were coming to play around Myrtle Beach, and I got the gig. So here's a lot of the guys, Myron, the accordion player, and just a bunch of those people that were on the old Lawrence Welk show that I watched when I'm a little boy. You know, I'm playing drums with that band, and it was so much fun. And there was, uh, on the side of the stage of this one theater we played in, there was a great big plexiglass thing. I don't know. It had something to do with sound, I'm sure. So I'm playing along. Lawrence Welk Band, here they are, and it's cool. You know, I'm really digging it. And nobody else is aware of what it means to me. So I'm playing along. And uh, I look over to the right, and there's that piece of plexiglass, and I saw my reflection. There is a picture of me playing drums with that band, and uh, it was pretty cool, man. Big smile. Yeah, I thank God for that. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. That was great. So... uh, one of the one of the good things one of the the gifts that i have is no everybody has good days bad days sure. and when you're constantly walking through doors where there's a good chance you're going to get beat up on the other side you know i i played some symphony gigs not with the symphony per se but i was playing a drum set with a symphony um was some like a big band or something, yeah. you know. And uh, I was in over my head on a few of those things, and uh, you know that hurts. Yeah, but I took it for what it was—an opportunity. And I'd go home, go to bed, and here's what I'm grateful for: the next morning, I'd get up and I'd be right back on my drum set. I got a short memory when it comes to that just you know a lot of music things you uh, are parallel with baseball you know a pitcher goes out and gets rocked he's got to forget that pretty quick yeah a few days yeah yeah and i think that um you know i don't know if you've always been like that i know that uh i am more like that now that i have found sobriety oh yeah me too uh you know my ego would get too hurt before and you know i i wasn't like 
you know, I don't like to think that I was the type of guy that was so egotistical that I was walking around being rude to everyone, but t- my ego affected me pretty deeply when I would have a failure. And I, instead of waking up and getting on the back on the horse the next day, I would get depressed about it or I, it would eat me up, but I wouldn't do anything about it. I would just keep repeating the same patterns. You know, a few days goes by, made this mistake, whether it's at work, in a relationship, anything, I would just go back to what I know, which was drink it away or take a substance to relieve it a little bit and then forget about it. And that has changed for me in sobriety. So, um, so yeah, and that's what this, this podcast is all about. You know, I, I started thinking about this last year during the pandemic, had a few friends that had started some started up podcasts, was going to maybe do something with a couple of them. And it got to a point where, you know, early this year, I was just kind of like, you know what, I, I think I'm just going to do it on my own so I can have the the freedom to to meet up with people when they can meet and it's not hard to schedule with, you know, an extra person. Um, and I got to talking with a few friends of mine that are, you know, definitely, you know, mentors in my life, whether it's professionally, personally, you know, um, in business, that sort of thing. And I started talking to them about concepts, what I wanted to, to talk about. You know, this is your episode number, I think, 20. I think you're 20. And the consistent thing that I have wanted to focus on, you know, obviously recovery comes up in a lot of my episodes because that's what I'm into, the world I'm in. But really, it's just struggles, right? People going through struggles. How do you get through those? You might go years and years where you don't know how to get through those struggles. But hopefully... You do get over the hump. How did you do that? What did it look like? That sort of thing. And so I think today you have done an awesome job at explaining that without me really asking you. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome to to have you in here. So I, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So what's your mom's name? Marilee. M Y R L E E. Marilee. And so Marilee is ninety nine today. To the thirtieth. Oh, okay. two days so, ago. So, she, but today, in, yeah, she's ninety nine years old. So, what's a day in life with you and your mom these days? Um, I get up early, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Woo! Yeah, what time you go to bed? Uh, well, if I'm not working, nine maybe. Gotcha. Uh, and I get up early, and I do things for recovery first. Put it and get the coffee going. After that, coffee's after, a big part of my recovery. Yeah, too. <laughs> and, and uh, then I've, mom will get up at five thirty or six. So about three o'clock, I'm playing a practice pad, and I play it working on drum things till mom gets up. When she gets up, I make her breakfast, coffee. We talk about what we're gonna do. And after she eats her breakfast, we visit a while. She takes her medication. She'll go back to bed for another nap, a couple of hours. When she does that, I go back to bed. I get two hours. 
or whatever. Yeah. Then I get up and start my day again. I make her lunch. I go to the store. We go to the grocery store together sometimes. I got a wheelchair. We do a lot of stuff. Uh, I bring her over here to Edwardsville to get her hair fixed once a week. And uh, I'll play drums, work out in the basement. We cook together a lot. She's turned me into a good cook, real soul food. And uh, in the afternoon, she'll take a nap. I'll play drums. Uh, Sometimes when she's upstairs watching TV, I'll play my acoustic drums in the basement, but they're not really loud upstairs. And we just have uh, a life together. You know, what she wants, she gets. That's incredible. Yeah. And when when I go to work, uh, one of my younger brothers will come over and stay with mom. She she don't want him to. She wants her independence. Yeah, yeah. And, and I try to let her hang on to all of her independence that I can. Right. Uh, she wants to cook. Cook. I'm just in there with her. Right. Okay, she would stumble or sure, something. Sure, sure. And, uh, Man, I've got radar ears. She can whisper my name in the middle of the night, and I'm up and out of bed and in there. And I hear her call my name when she's not calling my name sometimes. So, uh, and it is definitely one day at a time and in the now. Uh, I loved what you said about struggles a while ago. I watch a lot of documentaries about uh, people that are going through a tough time, and some of them real tough times. And uh, it's interesting to me how they act, how they behave, what they do about it. Uh, My divorce was pretty tough on me. Uh, We had a great life together, and and, uh, while it was great, it was great. When it wasn't great, it wasn't. But I had been sober 20 years. Uh, I knew what to do to maintain my sobriety, and no matter how dark it got, that light of faith was still inside of me. And it never went out. Yeah. Because I hung on to it one day at a time, a minute at a time. And at that church I was working, I talked to a girl that was a counselor. And we were talking about things that she told me something very important. She said, Arlen, there comes a time when you have to save yourself. You have to recognize it. And you can't be afraid to do it. And that was pretty big. And I've seen that in people uh, uh, that I watch documentaries about. Some of them are pretty dark. Yeah. You know, I mean, when people are struggling, that can make for some dark times. But it's so interesting to me. Yeah, me too. And that's what I mentioned. I'm into that kind of. The music I like is more the melancholy, kind of dark, slower tones that, right. that I feel inside of me. You know what I mean? Sure. And, uh, you know, like Jason Isbell, Avett Brothers, guys like that, you know, and it's, I just feel it inside of me. And I know that when they wrote that song and when they put that arrangement together musically, they were going, they were getting out their pain, right? And I, I tend to like those kind of, Deep dark songs, I think, just because I can relate to the feeling of it, right? And you're it, getting it almost, the same release, maybe that they they did. Yeah, I mean, sometimes songs can almost, you know, they. I mean, I know everyone's like this. They can be, it, they make me feel emotional. You know what I mean? Like I can really 
feel music. And the funny thing is, there for a while, when I was at my worst in my uh, addiction and alcohol, I, I wasn't into music. I wasn't feeling anything, you know? And so... For me, this past few years, music has been something uh, that I have, you know, found a whole new love for. And when I was younger, I, my parents were huge Beatles fans. I remember my dad always talking about the Beatles and the Stones in the late '60s, and uh, you know, so they always had that kind of music on in the house. And I just grew up with music all the time. And I just the way it made me feel then. That's how I am now. I can feel the music again, and so it's uh, it's pretty awesome. And what what recovery and, and the things that I have learned in, in in the recovery world and the the different viewpoint I have on the recovery world now that I'm in it is just amazing. You know, I used to think that people, when you go to these secret meetings or when you focus on your problem with the substance. I thought that's what you did is just talked about that. But then I've realized now, as we all have in recovery, that you keep going to keep, you know, keep all of your personal defects away. You know, all of those those horrible patterns that you developed in your life and those things that you you were wired wrong with. That's why I keep going. You know, I keep doing working on a recovery program because if I stop all of those things are going to come back, whether I'm drinking or using, those character defects will come back. And that's what I notice if I am in a bad spot with my anxiety or depression and, and you know I'm overwhelmed, usually it's because I'm not doing the things I need to be doing in my recovery. Yeah. We can, you know, there's a million voices coming in yeah. every day. We can choose the voices we want to listen to or the voice. We want to listen to. And uh, what you were saying about the music, the purpose of art is to enrich. And you're being enriched by that music. Uh, <clears throat> for me, a slow, dark, uh, somber kind of ballad has an energy about it that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. Just like a blistering fast bebop tune has an energy, its own special energy. And as I see that, it just broadens what I'm interested in, you know. When you listen and listen and listen and play and play and play, you grow. Just like recovery, uh, you're either growing or you're not. Yeah. So you're coming up on 30 years. That's a big number. Yeah, it'll be, uh, well, it'll be 29 years November 1st. Yeah, so, all right. Yeah, man, one day at a time. That's right. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so what uh, what are you doing these days in music around here? Are you playing a lot? I'm not playing a lot, but I'm playing. Um, I'm working on things at home, uh, recording things at home, and there is uh, uh, a girl named Dory Abel. She has uh, Allegro Music over in St. Charles. And she's a wedding planner and uh, a good singer. And they have a recording studio. And I do a lot of gigs for her, you know, private stuff, yeah. concert stuff. And 
I go I go out and hear bands around town once in a while, and I sit in with some of them, play with some of them. I have friends in St. Louis where I play some bar gigs. Yeah, but uh, I got to stay pretty close to home. Sure, uh, because of mom and because my brothers, you know, they're married with kids and all of that, and I'm just me. Yeah, so and it's great, you know. It's a it's an honor to be her son and a privilege to be her roommate. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome, man. Tell Mary Lee we said hello. I'll do it. And uh, it was really great sitting down with you and getting to know you a little better. And uh, I look forward to getting to know you more uh, throughout the next few years. Hey, sounds good to me. Thank you very much. And uh, maybe I can come back and do another one, man. There, hey. uh, you're a great interviewer, and uh, uh, I see a lot of things that you and I are going to be interested in in common. And, uh, uh, man, my life has been full of miracles. You know, you can't yeah. see them when you're drunk, but you yeah, open man. your eyes and shut your mouth, you can see them. Yeah, well, I would have you back anytime because I'm guessing we could do several hours of this, and <laughs> we'll do them one hour at a chunk. Okay, man. All right, Arlen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much.